0: Welcome to the Land Ethic Podcast, dedicated to naturalism, conservation, and stewardship. I'm Dylan Banyasco, a landscape designer and outdoorsman from Central Texas. I'm learning from individuals and organizations that are working to improve our relationship with land. Subjects may range from regenerative agriculture to ethical hunting and wildlife management. Please subscribe on your preferred app and follow Land Ethic Podcast on social media for updates, episode releases, and more. Well folks, this week is a little bit different. This is hopefully the first of many episodes from the field where I'm getting out and sharing an experience with my guests before recording and what better way to kick it off than with Josh Crumpton of Spoke Hollow Outfitters in uh, Wimberley, Texas. Josh is a conservationist, he's a land manager, he's an upland hunter, bass fisherman, and the host of the Sporting Diversity Podcast. I've really enjoyed getting to know him over the past few weeks. We've kind of been hanging out. I'm tagging along while things are happening out at his land. He's got film crews coming in and out. He's got classes going on, and uh, I've just been I've been soaking it all up. And uh, was able to nail him down for a podcast. So we had a good time, shared a drink, and kind of recapped our experience, and then talked about the future of Spoke Hollow and the things that he's trying to accomplish. Uh, So, yeah, I've really enjoyed kind of getting his thoughts as uh, someone who's had a little bit different life experience than me, but I think we share similar values. So, look forward to continuing our relationship, hopefully, doing some collaboration in the future. But for now, enjoy this episode with Josh Crumpton. All right. We're sitting in the future home of the best little fly shop in Texas, in Wimberley, Texas, on the Blanco River. And this morning, my wife and I went on a guided fly fishing trip with uh, one of Josh's guides, and we had a great time. And then uh, we went out and did some foraging. So I'm here with Josh Crompton, and we're just going to kind of recap what we saw today and the overall vision for Spokalo Outfitters.
1: Hey, um, Dylan. I'm glad to be here with you, and
0: I'm glad to be here.
1: You know, you're the first uh, this is the first. It's funny, the first recording in our future store is not one of our shows, and I'm pretty stoked actually.
0: Dude, this <laughs> place cool. is awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a fun little shop. I mean, it's 180 square feet. It's tiny. Um, we do we call it the best little fly shop in Texas? It's not open yet, but it's uh, it's down here in the middle of Wimberley and. It's going to be a good experience. This is going to be our, our face of our operation, the, the place where people can come to drop in to see us at any point in time. Um, we're going to have some key components that you need to fish on the Blanco River. And um, it's also going to be a place where people come to meet before they go on trips or sign up to do stuff with us.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's all through Spoke Hollow Outfitters, which I want to get into how you got into the outfitting business, first of all. Uh, I know you were an adult onset hunter like myself, and so I'm fascinated by that story. And then kind of the long-term goals for Spoke Hollow, um, you're serving not only people in Wimberley, people that are fishing a Blanco, but you're doing all sorts of guided experiences. You're doing, as I saw today, foraging, primitive skills. There's a lot going on here.
1: Yeah, you know, today was a really good example, so... Um you guys showed up, and, you know, three three things were happening. It was it was one of the smaller foraging classes. We had about nine or ten people in a foraging class that was kicking off at the same time as you guys were showing up to go out with Davin to wade fish down the Blanco um, targeting bass and panfish. Um, and at the same time, another couple guys showed up, and they were going to roll out on another part of the ranch and, and up and hunt. Yeah. So, you know, I... Um, I am an adult-onset hunter. Um, I grew up opposed to hunting, actually. <laughs> like, I was... I, was uh, <laughs> I had a lot of stigmas. And so anybody who has followed sort of some of the stuff that I put out there, I, I openly talk about the idea of how when I was younger, I grew up between Telluride, Colorado, and San Antonio, Texas. And when I came to San Antonio, Texas... Um, on Fridays, during hunting season, there was all these kids at Alamo Heights High School would show up in their camo garb, and um, I knew that they were going to leave, and they were going to go hunting on a Friday. They were going to get out of school probably half day, yeah. and so I was super jealous about that, <laughs> uh, but the thing that it took me later in life to admit was that I was jealous they were going to go do something with their dad, and... Um, it went very quickly somewhere deep in my mind, a shift from jealousy to animosity to looking at them, and then the quick snap optic for me was that most of them were all white, and I'm a brown-skinned man, and I ultimately said, well, hunting is for a bunch of bubbas and I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. Fast forward many years, uh, my early 30s, Um, My wife, Jeannie, her family, her grandfather bought a ranch in the 40s here in Wimberley. And I had already done a whole career, restaurants, wine business, all those things. And I um, was coming back around to this idea of sustainable farming as I was starting to connect with her family's land. Nobody was really managing that land out of her family. And I... Really got into Joel Salaton's concepts yeah. and started getting into regenerative farming. And that ultimately led me to this idea of, well, I don't want to just grow something. Because actually, I'm a terrible gardener. So like, so the idea of being a regenerative farmer.
0: Yeah, I didn't see any gardens <laughs> around the complex. So I, <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: Yeah. no, my wife does some of the garden. There is a little garden down there. My wife okay. does a little bit of gardening. But I, uh, yeah, I'm not a gardener. I'm not patient enough for that. Super ADD. And really, like, just, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, harvesting meat was the thing for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I got into this idea of hunting. You know, I was going to raise pigs, but then I was like, man, I really want to kill one of these tail that's on, on the ranch. And so I took a class, uh, Jesse from Dewey, a butchering class that yeah. happened at a heritage um, pig farm where I went out and just shot a pig and then learned to butcher that pig. And... That gave me the skills to come back to my ranch and start teaching myself how to hunt. Wow. So.
0: And your grandfather was part of this too, right? Mm. I read somewhere that uh, your grandfather was a sportsman and it kind of skipped a generation.
1: Yeah. So my grandfather was a big time. He was a judge here in Texas. And like, I mean, he was a big time hunter. like A hunter, angler. His life after retirement from being a judge was just spent planning his next trip, whether it was Africa or South America or wherever it was. Um, he lived between Kerrville and Telluride, Colorado and ultimately Ridge, uh, uh Ridgeway. Okay. And, um, but he passed away really before he and I could ever make that connection to this is something that I might want to do. I mean, I remember a couple of times fishing with him in Colorado, never went hunting with him, but I remember all the Thanksgivings when I was a kid eating grouse and woodcock and, and venison and, and just the game that he would make at his house, you know, um, I really remember that. Um, but I I never got to pick up those skills from him. And my dad didn't do didn't hunt; he wasn't interested in it. And so um, I had to kind of go out and make my way on my own uh, into this hunting game, this world. And I was fortunate enough to have a ranch to do that on. And and you know, one thing led to another. Um, my wife and I are now managing the ranch, and we decided to open an outfitter as a cash muse for the ranch, as something to help with the conservation of the property. Um, and at the core of that outfitter is conservation. So, I mean, you can probably test. you came out a week yeah. before last. And-
0: I've hung out with you twice now, um, and we have spoken about... We haven't spoken about hunting, really, or <laughs> outfitting, or really anything other than conservation, and your land management ethic, which is you you have a knowledge of your property that is beyond what I've seen for the most part. I think ranchers always and farmers always know their land really well, but you have gone, you've taken that a step further, and you're bringing in people like Mark, who we were hanging out with today, yeah, uh, who are you're learning from, from them uh, about what's on your land and how to protect it. So can you talk about that, how you how the land management part of this became so strong and not just a, a hunting operation?
1: Yeah, so I mean, that's like I was saying earlier, I came to hunting through sustainable farming and sustainable farming, part of that was just like picking up books and reading. So I was like, I don't know anything about this stuff. Um, I love to read so I threw myself if you could see my my bookshelf I mean I probably have uh, 400 books on like land management and quail and grasses and like you should so- put them
0: here on these shelves in the best little fly shop <laughs> I don't
1: know if we'd have room for That'd any cool. flies or stuff Yeah, I could definitely bring some in but I started reading a whole lot and the more I read the more excited I became and then I ultimately joined and anybody who's in Texas highly recommend this I joined a um a group called the Master Naturalists is a really cool organization. Um, it is a combination between Texas Parks and Wildlife Department um, and um and m TAMU, um, and I forget who else. I think those are the, those are the two main um, people that are involved with it. They created a textbook, like just buying the textbook if you're here in Texas, Texas Master Naturalists. It, it okay. Is, I mean, I'm holding up my fingers to show Dylan. It's a three-inch thick, classic, college-style textbook. And it's the book of ologies. So I don't remember how many hours you do. Um, San Antonio, the Alamo chapter, is the founding chapter of Master Naturalist. The program was designed to reconnect absentee landowners with their properties and have them understand uh, what what the responsibility of a landowner is and what's entailed with management. It's the book. It's the class of ologies because in that class you get herpetologists, ornithologists, geologists, hydrologists. They bring through all the top TPWD. Dope. Yeah, it's really great. <laughs> all the biologists. I don't even know. I don't think we've talked about this. while I've been hanging out? Yet. No, no,
0: we haven't. Um, it's
1: really cool. And now um, they're international. Australia uh, adopted the model of this program, uh, but it was for me a six month crash course of like here's all the resources in your state and here are all these management and ecology conversations focused on on Texas. Like we're going to talk about geology but we're going to talk about yeah. Texas geology. So I, I really got a nice overview from that and then I just started calling people and saying hey you want to come out and walk around with me on a thousand acres in Wimberley? And they're like
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah and some cool things have come from that. Like we're walking around looking at plants today and you're talking about The university came out and did a a study on some of your uh, hybrid plants that exist only on this property, only in this area. And I feel like opening up your property to people who are interested in that way is leading to to some really cool stuff. You've got, um, well, you've got a lot going on. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Spoke Hollow, I feel like this is a larger vision for you. Can you talk about... First of all, I want to make sure that we talk about your podcast, which is really great. Oh, thanks. The Sporting Diversity Podcast. Yeah, Thank And some of the other things that you're doing that relate to your philosophy at large.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm going to do that in reverse. I'm going to talk about philosophy at large, and then I'll do the podcast, if that's okay right. with you. So, um, you know, the philosophy at large is to try to conserve our little piece of property here in the hill country to the highest level to try to move that land to its highest utilization often i'm talking to people about i don't want to take this piece of property and take it to a pre-european standpoint i think it's a it's a impractical idea i want to take this piece of land and move it to its highest utilization for what it is now i don't want it to look like what it looked like a thousand years ago i want it to look like the best as it can at this moment in time which means less cedar Uh, but still some cedar Um, it means you know uh, trying to reactivate my springs it means trying to get native grasses to grow it means using cows instead of bison to graze Um, i want to use all of the strategies to have a healthy landscape that is the first objective of everything we do at Spokala with that comes a responsibility to educate other people why that's important So um, that's this educate pillar for us, and so um, that's where we're reaching out with Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation through mentored hunts, that's where um, we're working with partners like Duck Camp, Trout Unlimited, um, to spread the word of conservation, and then we have the experience channel which is where we're actually taking people to go upland hunting and fly fishing and do these things that are like, isn't this such a cool sport to do in the outdoors? And this gives you that hands-on experience piece. And we take people upland hunting in the Texas Hill Country at Spokalo. We call that our campus. It's a place where it is a preserve-style hunt. We're going to release birds. We let you know that these are released birds. Um, Our goal is to get as many people through there, which we cannot do on a native population of birds. Um, and get them to experience and understand the habitat and the interplay between these birds but then once you've done that if you're an adult onset or if you're somebody it's also a good fit for somebody who just has a new dog or maybe can't get out on wild birds that season we're 45 minutes from Austin an hour and 15 from San Antonio Yeah. but once you've done that we have opportunities in West Texas where we take people out to hunt in West Texas um, and then this next year I haven't talked about this with Anywhere, yes, it's exclusive. It's an exclusive. Okay, uh, next year we'll also have Mern's Quail hunting in Arizona. Oh. So, and, and a special October couple weeks where we're going to do some chucker hunting on the Salmon River and fly fishing. Wow, so and same with our fishing, we take people fly fishing on the Guadalupe, the Blanco, the San Marcos here, and then we'll have special trips where we take people to other places like the Salmon. So, we're really trying to utilize the campus to educate and then take people out to further places. So our philosophy, and this is gonna get to supporting diversity, is to focus on the adult onset hunter. We wanna bring more adults into the hunting and angling world. Um, I believe that when you hunt and fish, you're more passionate about conservation or you have a different understanding of conservation. And in my mind, you have a whole holistic view of conservation because you've embraced who we are as a hunter-gatherer and our place in nature. And so I really yeah. think you can sink into conservation at that moment in time.
0: This is really in line with some of the conversations I've been having in terms of the, the value that you start to give wildness and wildlife when you experience it and when you try to pursue it. So once you have to study an animal and understand its life cycle and you're trying to find it whether it's a fish a a pig whatever you're trying to hunt i feel like you really grow to respect it value it and have a vested interest in protecting its habitat and you're doing a great job i think of of educating people on that like i've learned so much just hanging out with you guys today i'm going to speak with mark as well but uh we were walking around foraging looking for edible plants, he's talking about all the medicinal purposes and I don't know it's just kind of a different, it's a really refreshing experience from a hunting point of view because I also grew up outside of that thinking of hunters in a different way um, as not as ecologists, not as conservationists as takers mm-hmm. and uh, that's not what's being represented here
1: No, you know it's cool because one of the things that I that I experienced, come back to my first animal I killed, which was a domesticated pig. And I learned to butcher. And, you know, when I first got into this, even a little after that, I used to say, oh, we're going to go harvest an animal. Yeah. I do not use that term anymore. I can't. In fact, I don't I don't like that term. I hate the term. Why not? <laughs> so it's like, I mean, look, you, we harvest like crops. Now you can harvest the meat, after you kill the animal yeah but you got to kill the animal to harvest the meat and i think there's an important thing here and this is one of the things that that's central to our mission educating and recruiting hunters is i want people to understand because the moment when i killed the pig the first time the first animal that first large animal i killed and really ultimately the first whitetail that i killed like i cried i mean it was an emotional experience for me um big mammal eyes staring back into them were very impactful to me. Um, And there was remorse. I had regret immediately. And what I came to terms with was something that I thought was crazy, the act of hunting and killing animals, became so natural to me as I butchered that animal and it turned into meat. And 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 I started to connect the something dying... And meat for me to live happening, that when I went back into a grocery store and I looked at meat that had had bones removed from it, all the fur, everything, everything to make that meat not look like it was ever once a living animal. Yeah. And then wrapped in a petroleum-based product, stacked in the shelf in like like mass death, <laughs> like you know thousands of pounds of meat in every single grocery store, and but with this idea that removes you from the responsibility that something's dying and then for somebody to sit back and have the piety to judge a hunter if they're a meat eater if you don't eat meat then then you're absolved of that scenario Mm -hmm. but if you're going to meet be a meat eater i think you have the responsibility you owe it to yourself to go and kill an animal and don't call it harvesting take the responsibility that you killed it Interesting, yeah. And that death of that animal is part of the circle that gives life for you to live. And therefore, I think, hopefully makes people view their own life with more respect. And it also, we can't all live off of meat that we kill. This is not something that we can do. But the one thing we can do is if we have an appreciation for the fact that something gave its life for us to live, we can maybe start to put a higher demand on the quality and the way our factory farming operates. And so I think that's when you start getting into that sustainable um, farm-raised beef to buy local cows that get to be cows. You know, I just bought a whole cow from one of my neighbors, and that cow was, was eating grass its whole life. So I think learning and actualizing something died will give us all the drive to make sure that all the meat that we eat has a better life
0: yeah absolutely i think uh i'm a few years behind you but uh we're having similar experiences in terms of introduction into hunting and those experiences of killing a a large animal and like it's not pleasant the actual death part is not pleasant to me I i don't take any joy in watching an animal die, it, that is the culmination of a bunch of hard work and the joy of the pursuit and the joy of being out there in nature. The actual death part is the dirty work that has to happen. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just really encouraged to see what y'all are doing and the type of people that are seem to be magnetically pulled toward you when you put this out. You know, your your whole vibe and your philosophy putting it out there you're attracting people that are interested in the same things and are sharing so much knowledge with you so you've got partnerships with i spoke with uh chris wood ceo of trout unlimited yeah i know you're uh affiliated with them yeah you've got trustees for those guys board of trustees for the guadalupe river chapter you are um you're involved with some other things with texas parks and wildlife can you talk about that
1: yeah, so, so I sit on the Board of Trustees for Trout Unlimited National and the GRT local level. And then, but also with Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation, um, my, a good friend of mine, Dr. Matt Hughes, um, runs the Stewards of the Wild. We've been working with them to put together mentored programs. This year, we put together two mentored programs one of them's an upland hunting program, and the other one is a, is a fishing program. Both of those programs are targeted at bringing young professionals, 21 to 45, who have never experienced these things, into the fold of the outdoors. Those things are amazing. I'm looking to work with the TWA this coming year, Texas Wildlife Association, to extend that work. And I've been talking with Quail Forever, Pheasants Forever, and Trout Unlimited to take the models that we're building here and hopefully try to roll them out at a national level. My friend, and that's that's all, Dr. Wild, <laughs> Matt Hughes. That's okay. all him. He's got a PhD from Clemson in um, human outdoor recreation studies. I think.
0: Dr. Uh, Wild is the coolest nickname ever. Yeah, so he's
1: well. Spoiler: uh, there there is going to be a Dr. Wild podcast at some point in time. There's okay, look out be for a that, folks. Highly academic show. Um, but, you know, he puts together some pretty meaningful, impactful programs, and, and we're going to try to get those out at a national level. Hmm. Um, we look at Spokalo as being the living room of the outdoors for Austin. And any given time you come out there, it could be Rick Wittenbreaker from Howler. It could be um, the uh, Will Bradley, uh, Will Brady from uh, Turtle Box. It could be Corey from Chama. Uh, you, know, you never know who's going to be out there. And it's usually a convergence between them and nonprofits and Texas Parks and Wildlife Department who are all sitting around a table out there having conversations. Yeah. And cool stuff happens when you get people together like that.
0: Do you think it's more about, obviously a huge part of that has to do with your outreach, but there's also something pretty special about your land. Um, People are really interested. I'm really interested in it. You've got frontage along the Blanco River, you've got a thousand acres in Texas Hill Country. Talk about that land and what makes it so so special um, and why you're able to do these kind of programs on that property.
1: Well, that piece of property was definitely a place where a bunch of Comanche, maybe Apache before them, hung out, lived there. It's a communal space. It has um, old creek beds and tributaries and old springs that at one point in time were probably flowing quite well. Um, and the Blanco River and, you know, in Texas where there's water, there's life. And where there's clean water, there's life. And it's a place where there's clean water. And so I think that land has always been a gathering point.
0: And after... It feels like that. Yeah, it does, yeah. it's
1: kind of got that. You just know like people spent time here.
0: Yeah, and it's got a diversity of uh, within that thousand okay. acres which... I know that sounds like a lot to a lot of people. It is a big piece of land, but...
1: Not by Texas standards. Not no. by Texas
0: standards, and you can experience uh, that pretty quickly, especially if you're on a, a gator like we were. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's got a diversity of of wild of, uh, habitat. 400 and
1: feet of elevation change. How many? 400 feet between our lowest point and our highest point. Um, and two um, aquifers, so you have the Trinity... And the um, Edwards Aquifer that both collide there, um, the Blanco River, um, and then it's on the Balcones Fault, and, and it's the very beginning of really the hard line where Edwards Plateau where the Edwards Plateau begins. So you, there's a lot of diversity, which I think is cool. You can you can you can see so many different things on that property. Yeah. Um, but I, but I also think you know part of it is just I love people. I love talking with people. I lo- I'm a social person. You know, the COVID was very tough on me because <laughs> I love having gatherings and getting people together. So, you know, there's definitely that. You know, but it will say, you were talking about earlier um, podcasts, the Sporting Diversity podcast, yeah. and the birth of that. Um, and that ties to adult onset hunting. So it wasn't until last year When uh, the Black Lives Matter movement um, kind of kicked into gear and we had that moment of black squares all over Instagram, which really shouldn't have been a key component for anything. But for me, um, when I saw Orvis kick into gear and make a statement as a company, Orvis has always been an important company to me since I was 12 years old, picked up my first Orvis fly rod, taught myself how to fly fish um, in the San Miguel River in Telluride, Colorado. And ever since then, Orvis has been
0: key to my life. So that kind of symbolized the outdoor industry to you?
1: It did. And and when Orvis made a statement, it meant so much to me. And then to see the pushback that they got and all of the friction, it Orvis forced me to realize that I didn't know that I had a problem with representation in the Outdoors. And so at that point in time, um, I engaged pretty heavily. And ultimately, that culminated to a road trip. That road t- trip became the Sporting Diversity Podcast. And that mission is to show that there are people in the outdoors to represent because I believe what happened in our outdoors community is not that there are not women, that there are not Hispanics, that there are not Blacks, that there are not Asians that are out here doing these things because they're out here (laughs) they've been doing these things yeah i mean if you were in the south and you're black you were shooting something to eat okay (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And let's take this a step further before the europeans were here indigenous peoples were hunting (laughs) i mean there is representation we've been here all of us women people of color we've all been hunting and fishing for a long time What happened is somewhere along the way, as our industry started to kick in, the marketing, a bunch of people in marketing departments decided that the person who was going to buy camo was middle-aged, white, and male. And so that's all they put out there in all their imagery. And that led to an optic that led to stigmas like I had when I was a kid. And so my job at the Sporting Versity podcast is to tell Different stories, and and that has nothing to do with gender or race. We have an episode where I talk about my friend Sam, and he is represents diversity to me because he's white male from a family that's so not socio politically aligned with hunting, and came from a part near uh, in Virginia near D.C. that there was no opportun- opportunities to hunt. Mm. So. That him coming into the hunting world represents diversity from a socio-geopolitical standpoint. And that diversity is, is just as important as color and those things. So
0: that's nice to hear.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to know those stories, you know. And so to, what we're doing with Sporting Diversity is trying to highlight that there are lots of people out here hunting and fishing. That this is not a... Republican thing. You don't have to be a Republican to be a to be a hunter. <laughs> yeah. You know, Democrats own guns too and, and hunt also. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's that political aspect. You don't have to be middle aged and white and male. You can be, you know, middle aged and white and female. Or you can be, you know, in your twenties and black, you know, and, and go hunting or fishing or whatever. And and that we're out here. So we're trying to find those people, tell their stories and highlight them. So that's that's sport and diversity.
0: That's awesome. I love the format of it. It's uh, Y'all have to listen to this. It's formatted as, well, he went on a road trip and he's fishing, fly fishing with all sorts of different folks and cutting in and out from conversations with these people to sound clips from your experiences. It's a really immersive kind of experience as a a show. I think it's really fun. Thanks. Um, Yeah, well, thank you, dude. You've been really welcoming and really just quick to share your knowledge. I mean, yeah, it's been fun to just like drive around on the ranger and you're just pointing out things about your property that most people wouldn't get to experience. Um, so I really appreciate that and I look forward to getting to know you better. And, uh, hopefully next time I'll catch some more fish on your river there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: you know, thanks for having me, Dylan. Uh, I hope this, this is the beginning of a long friendship and, uh, that we get to share a whole lot more time in the field. I know that you're heading up to Colorado, uh, so I'm going to come harass you and fish the frying pan.
0: <laughs> Teach me how to hunt these birds, man. Oh, we That's can do my that. next venture is upland hunting. i got a side-by-side shotgun. I'm ready to go. Chucker, pheasant, whatever's out there. I need, I need to learn.
1: Right on, man. Let's do it.
0: Cool. All right, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Josh. Thank you.